All right, Ryan. You know your numbers, right? Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, just googling them right now. Ak, Dui, Din, Jar, Pach, Choi, Shat, Art. No, I. Sorry. I only go up to eight. <laughs> Alright, it's gonna be Ichni-san next time you come Oh back. man, we're like less than two minutes in, we've all gone to shit already. Excellent. <laughs> Wait, it's, it's recording now. Hello and welcome to the Brothers Trilogy, a film podcast where we talk trilogies. I'm your host, Tobro, and I'm joined by elder brother Bhaya. Bhaya, how goes it? Hey Tobro, I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you doing today? Good, good. Thank you very much. And Rai is still working hard on whatever it is he works on. We have no idea. But taking his place is Ryan. Ryan. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. It's great to have you. It's your first time on the show and you're our first guest to ever uh, come on the show. So welcome on board. Thank you so much for having me. I'm privileged. So is this, is this how we select guests? They have to have the same names as us. I think that's a good um, criteria. I mean, that's your only qualification here, presumably. That's all I need, really. <laughs> <laughs> if your name happens to be Bahia or Tobro, let us know if you'd like to feature on this podcast. Yeah, because we'd like to take a holiday holiday <laughs> at some point, so we need, <laughs> we need people to uh, take those places, yeah. So Ryan, you and I, many years ago, used to uh, share a flat and um, I was actually I was actually trying to think of some films we might have seen together in that period, and I couldn't think of any. And I, and I realized it's because the flat had no living room, so we would all just watch something like Game of Thrones in our individual rooms and come out and speak about it afterwards. Like, I mean, if you if you remember uh, our one failed attempt at watching a film, where we we had some delicious food arranged, yeah, and all I needed was to take my TV from my room into the living room area yeah but i somehow stepped on the hdmi cable therefore breaking it off inside the hdmi port thereby rendering it useless and we had to watch (laughs) 10 minutes of social network on my laptop (laughs) 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 but no um we watched uh in the mood for love i think that 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 was a really great film i'm not sure you remember that was just a poster man (laughs) (laughs) we, we watched the film we watched okay. the film because I remember watching the film. Guys, like, um, when you were in that flat, seriously, how high were you? <laughs> Ryan just no sitting there staring at a poster. <laughs> no, no comment. Uh, what are you talking about? We were, we were on the fourth floor, if uh, that's what you're... Uh, yeah, to listen, ha- yeah. having spent some time on the seventh floor of that building, yeah, we, we knew what was going on downstairs. Uh, I'm not sure what you're talking about. My, uh, <laughs> such a long time ago. We did uh, we did catch up recently to watch Tenet though, which why um, I know you've seen as well. Oh yes. I it's is it too soon to talk about Tenet? Maybe we leave that for another day. Yeah, it's um, if I think we need to give people time to catch up and watch it before we have an in-depth conversation and time to actually mm. understand it. I mean, for some people, sure, Ryan. Um, but the film we are here to talk about today is Blade Two. Wait, um, it's not Blade Runner. Uh, <laughs> No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. All right, we need Rye back. <laughs> oh, damn it. Blade 2, the bladening. The bladening. Blade I-I. Yeah. 
Released in 2002, the same year as Infernal Affairs, uh, the, the first Infernal Affairs. It was a box office success, earning $115 million, the highest grossing of the series. The director from the first film, Stephen Norrington, was invited to direct again, but he turned it down to work on other projects. By which I mean the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And we, we know how that turned out. And, uh... <laughs> Extraordinary. <laughs> oh, very good. Very Thank good, you. Sean Connery. Thank you. We ended up with Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro, uh, the guy who would go on to direct the Hellboy films, Pan's Labyrinth, Pacific Rim, and win the Oscar uh, for The Shape of Water. But at this point in his career, he'd uh, just done three feature films, Kronos, Mimic, and The Devil's Backbone. You guys uh, Del Toro fans? Oh yeah, definitely. And I mean, when I watched Blade 2 originally, I hadn't heard the name at all. Oh, mm. oh hadn't heard of Del Toro at all. Uh, and then getting into Del Toro's films as, as they came out with sort of Pan's Lab and things like that, um, I still never realized it was the same person. It's just one of those, right. yeah, much later facts I picked up on where I was like, Stephen Norton, no idea. Um, and then, you know, when all the stories about Blade's, the Blade trilogy started to come out, I was just like, oh my god, legendary director Guillermo del Toro snuck in there with this film. Written by David Goyer, we spoke a little bit about him last time. In terms of the cast, we've got Snipes and uh, Chris Christopherson reprising their roles. I mean, Snipes, Snipes was was huge back in the day. So we did talk about him and how he came onto this role previously. Mm. Uh, he was attached to be Black Panther for a very long time. And um, before that, it's probably, I'd say his most famous role is uh, White Man, White Man Can't Jump. I, I was literally mm. going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I remember him from. And like, of course, my uh, personal favorite, US Marshals. Yeah, is, is that the one where he's um, always bet on black? No, that's Passenger 57, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> No, the classic, and that's the film I was thinking of, yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, sort of in the 90s, he was a mm. huge, huge um, action star. Huge dude. Yeah. And and a huge dude. And <laughs> Still is fact, probably. Uh, he will be in Coming to America 2. It's literally coming, and the number 2, America. So I'm oh guessing my it's God. coming to America. Already awful. <laughs> Already failed. <laughs> hey, no, come on. Coming to America was a great film. No, Coming to America is an absolutely brilliant film. Yeah. But it's also, you cannot have a sequel to that film. I mean, if they uh, if they make a third one, then I'm sure we'll do it on this podcast at some point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, joining the cast is Ron Perlman, uh, Hellboy himself. Mm-hmm. Um, Norman Reedus, who would later become famous for his involvement in The Walking Dead. Daryl. Very strange seeing Daryl in this context. A very, very young Daryl. And when I saw him as Daryl, I, I did not think back to Blade 2 again. Just didn't make that connection. Mm. And my personal favorite, of course, Donnie Yen. I knew you were going to say that. Oh, man. Yeah, I've been a fan of his since uh, some of his old Chinese films. Iron Monkey, Once Upon a Time in China 2. Um, but more recently, I think everyone knows him as Ip Man uh, because of the four Ip Man films, which have been uh, big hits uh, internationally. Uh, also, you know, a major role in Hero, and he had a role in Rogue One as well. And soon to be seen in Disney's Mulan as well. Don Yen was one of the um, flight choreographers in, in the movie. He was, and I think we will talk about the choreography yes. it, uh, later on, actually. Because I am curious to hear, mm. hear your opinions on that, knowing, knowing what we know of, of Donnie Yen. 
Another fun fact about Donnie Yen. He's got a uh, an English twin. His name is Donnie Sterling. What? <laughs> That's awful. That is brilliant and awful. That is incredible. Ryan, you are not a dad yet, so dad jokes may not quite work with you. Uh, I still appreciate a good dad joke when I hear one, and that was bloody brilliant, <laughs> mate. So it's, it's a whole world of Donnies out there then. Donnie Dollar? <laughs> Donnie. Oh my god, Donnie Dollar? <laughs> Deserves a form of its own? Come on. <laughs> In the world, <laughs> I would totally watch the Donny Currency trilogy. <laughs> Better than the Dollars trilogy for a few Donnies. <laughs> the good, the bad, and the Donny. Um, I'm not gonna say a fistful of Donnies. Um, <laughs> moving on, we <laughs> we talked about in the last episode all the cool vampire films in the '90s that led up to Blade. But what's what are the mm. films that came out between Blade and Blade 2? Well, not much, really. We had Dracula 2000 coming out in 2000. Oh. Awful. And then 2003, same year as Blade, we have Queen of the Damned come out as a, oh, another God. really crappy film. But Buffy and Angel are still on TV, so vampires are still popular. Yeah. Um, superhero films, we talked about, on the other hand, there was really nothing before the first Blade. But this time, um, between the two Blades, we have... X-Men coming out in 2000 and Sam Raimi's Spider-Man in 2003, same year as Blade. It's quite nice, actually, to think about what it was like back then. So if you think about X-Men, Blade uh, and Spider-Man, mm. you probably couldn't name you know, three more different feeling films. Uh, when we talk about the kind of homogenation of, of the MCU or, or the DC trying to kind of counter that and just be all kind of needlessly dark and gritty... Here you are, three Marvel films, three very, very different fields, very, very different approaches. There is also Tobro, probably the most influenced slash influential film in a genre film that came out uh, in between Blades 1 and 2, uh, The Matrix. The Matrix, of course, of course, and that changed everything. I remember watching it on the VHS tape. It's a strange age you are, Ryan, because you are too young to have caught The Matrix in the cinema back then but somehow old enough to watch See, it on VHS. Matrix came out in 99, correct? Mm-hmm. The same yep. year I watched Titanic in cinema. You made your choice. Do you stand by it? It's between Titanic and <laughs> Matrix. Oh, that's, that's a hard choice, man. That's a hard choice. Where did you guys first watch Blade 2, Ryan? Was this another VHS blockbuster <laughs> video? Oh, God, blockbuster. I haven't heard that name in so long. It's probably at one of my friend's houses we were watching. Mm. Or, you know, one of those movies that come on in the evening on, like, Film four or something. Yeah, one of one of those. Ones. I I can't I can't really remember my experience of watching this. Where I do remember actually sitting down to watch Blade. But by I guess you you were older when you would have watched Blade two. I mean, how was that? Were you as a fan of the first Blade? Was this something you were looking forward to? And did you watch it in the cinema? Yeah. So we didn't own this DVD, Tobro. I don't know if you remember. It was just Blade that we had, mm. which we watched over and over again. So this didn't get multiple viewings. Um, and and also, I was still too young, I think, to have caught it in the cinema. Um, so this was something I think we rented. I think we rented it and watched. And doing the rewatch for this show made me realize um, how seldom I've seen this film compared to the other two in the trilogy. Um, whereas... I, I think I've also also always held it as my favourite, which is a little bit strange. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was quite it was quite nice watching this. It felt quite fresh watching it again. But at the time, 
uh, yeah, it just it blew me away. Uh, I'm a big fan of kind of that world building stuff uh, we talked about in last week's episode, and I thought this took it up a notch. And uh, the thing with the the uh, the team, all of that stuff, you know, a team of people with their own personalities and all that stuff, well up for it, well into it. I, I remember um, just wanting to know more, just wanting to know the history of those, and you know, set off that imagination of what else is happening in that world. It was quite cool. Cool, yeah. Let's jump into the story. So, you know, spoilers for Blade 2 from this point on. I'll just quickly summarize uh, in case some viewers haven't seen it in a while, or some listeners haven't seen it in a while. So, the basic story is at the start of the film, Blade tracks down Whistler, who turns out to be still alive, uh, but though as a vampire. Blade cures Whistler of vampirism, presumably using the treatment developed by Karen in the first film. But speaking of uh, the virus vampirism, looks like there's a new, more powerful strain of the virus going about, and it's called COVID-19. Sorry, I mean, (laughs) it's called the Reaper virus. Um, So the Reaper virus is spreading through the vampire community, turning them from vampires to Reapers, hence the name, uh, who seem to be more physically powerful than vampires. They have fewer of the vampire weaknesses, but I... I mean, this isn't touched on, but they seem more animalistic. Uh, maybe they're mentally regressed in in some sense, possibly. Unable to contain this Reaper virus, the vampire lord, Damaskinos, asks Blade for help. Uh, he reasons that once the Reapers are done with um, the vampires, they're going to start feeding on humans, so it's in both their interests that they deal with this issue together. Blade agrees and he takes charge of the Blood Pack, a vampire task force including Ron Perlman, Donnie Yen, uh, and Damaskinos' daughter Nisa, and a bunch of other uh, dudes. Um, The Blood Pack were put together to try and kill Blade originally, but now they're working under him in order to uh, get the Reapers. So, Blade and the Blood Pack then uh, go off hunt on these hunting adventures. They learn more about the Reapers, and the most important thing they find out is that they're still allergic to sunlight, and that's the best way to kill them. So, they go into this uh, the, the Reaper lair, and they set off this UV bomb, that UV light bomb that kills all the Reapers, with the exception of the one who started it all, Nomak. So, he's the original Reaper, and he gets away. Um, and also most of the blood pack end up dying in this scene. Um, but then the remaining blood pack seem to, you know, um, betray Blade. They knock him out and take him and Whistler, uh, as hostage and take him to the vampire lord, Damaskinos. Like all classic James Bond villains, Damaskinos then reveals that it was all his evil plot, uh, that... Uh, the the Reaper virus was in fact started in a lab as part of an experiment uh, to try to help vampires overcome their uh, allergies. And while they succeeded in with regards to things like garlic, they're still working on sunlight. And the they tested this sort of new uh, thing on on his own son. And so Nomak, the original Reaper, is in fact Damaskinos' son. We find out. And then Damaskinos is like, now that I've explained everything, you must die, Mr. Bond. But surprise, Blade has his own ideas. He gets free, has a bath in a pool of blood, so a literal blood bath, and then uh, kills everyone. Um, He kills Ron Perlman, he kills a bunch of vampire henchmen, he kills Scud. We haven't talked about Scud, but Scud's dead. Um, (laughs) And... Nomak kills his father, Damaskinos, and infects his sister, Nisa, with the Reaper virus. 
Then Blade kills Novak and has a moment with Nisa as she dies in his arms while the sun comes up, uh, killing her. Uh, Turbo, challenge for you. Now, having now given the plot summary, mm. what was Damaskino's plan? His plan was to help vampires overcome their weaknesses. Yeah, and why did he get Blade involved? Well, firstly, he didn't develop what he was hoping to develop, mm. and it started spreading through the community. And But wait. It makes no sense, right? He wanted Blade's blood, right? When they actually catch him and they tase him and they stick him to that chair, mm. they're like, all right, I wanna, I'm want i trying to make this super vampire. I'm basically trying to make you, mm. minus the blood dependence. I'm trying to make... I want all the positives of vampires, none of the negatives, and that's why I'm making all these experiments, and that's why I accidentally made the Reapers. And what I really want is your blood. Incidentally, the same plot of the last film, Blade, Blade's blood is the key. But it makes no fucking sense, because... in because I could have got Blade's blood a million other ways before sending Blade and the blood pack out to kill the Reapers. Blade could have been killed by the Reapers in all of this time. Mm. Um, you know, I, I didn't have to go through this long-ass shenanigans to get you tied to a table and get blood out of you. So the whole the whole thing is a red herring for Blade, just to get Blade yes. to come in and so they can take his blood. And, I mean, they just tase the guy. Yeah. It's not like... <laughs> That's... They could have done it any time, right? <laughs> you know what? This is I, I'm kind of pissed off at this whole podcast because I've loved this film until now. And I, because I was watching it, trying to make some notes and make sense of it as I went. Yeah. And suddenly I saw that and I just thought, ah, oh, fuck. You ruined Blade 2 for me. Damn you, Brothers Trilogy. Damn you. I mean, now, now you can see where the ending of Black Panther basically ripped off the ending of Blade 2 with the sunlight, you know. I just want to see the sun one last time. Oh, I, did, I didn't make yeah, that Yeah, because at the end of, um, or toward the end of Black Panther, it's uh, Black mm. Panther versus Killmonger. And Killmonger's and I just want to see the yeah. sun one last time. And the same with Nyssa. I mean, Nyssa's motivations kind of fall apart for me anyway. So at some point during the film, she realizes, oh, uh, uh, what's in it? Kovac is my brother. So my dad sacrificed a brother I'd never heard of. Um, and because of this, I now want to destroy everything. I want to kill my dad. I want to kill myself. It's all over. I don't give a shit anymore. And it just kind of came a bit out of nowhere. I think I, I felt like she wanted to confront her dad for sure as to why that happened. Hmm. I don't think she went on like some sort of destructive spree. I think she just wanted to at least kill him. So she wanted to kill him, and then she chose to want to die as well. Yeah, that that part didn't get... I mean, it would have made sense if she had some sort of love affair with Blade at the end or something, but... Did you feel any chemistry between Nisa and Blade? I mean, everyone kept saying there was... You know, Wister's like, oh, man, stay away from that vampire girl, (laughs) you know? But watching it going, yeah, he is staying away, really. He's not doing anything. When when Blade kills all the... um... Reapers with that UV light bomb thing. How does that work? Because there was all sort of tunnels. Oh my god! Did the light so... kind of go around various bends? And I... The science of this film, some for some reason, is light can go round tunnels, can go bend round corners, right. but cannot go through water. Right. So the one thing we know light can do <laughs> is go through water. <laughs> also, right? 
Yeah. Fine, you've got this. You've got this thing. You've got this light bomb, yeah. which then basically is you know six torches pointing outwards, yeah. and it's strong enough to kind of vaporize anyone it hits. Right? Mm-hmm. You only need one. Having two doesn't make it stronger. Right? It's still the same. It's just you know <laughs> anything the light touches is your king. I mean, is is dead, right? <laughs> and finally, the mega bomb they make yeah. is I'm going to take a bunch of these these spheres put them in a metal box and say, hey, that will work. No, it won't. It just shoots the light upwards. You've encased it around bloody five sides of the damn cube. It's just such fucking nonsense. And so unnecessary as well. I mean, I think we talked last week about these vampires being so, like, needlessly fragile. Mm. You know, you touch them with garlic, you touch them with silver, they just explode instantly, right? Yeah. And with the Reapers... You've you've taken away the kind of you know all of those things because vampire garlic doesn't work, silver doesn't work, staking through the heart doesn't work. A touch of UV light, mm. and you know ultimately all they needed to do, you know they had these guns with a little torch on the top and they flick the torch on and off. No, no, just cover your body in those torches. Just walk around with this huge like spotlight holding one in front, one behind. Walk in formation, you've killed them all. Dude, how boring would that film be? <laughs> you, they picked the wrong power to give them. Just say that, oh yeah, UV doesn't work, but um, you know, only staking through the heart works, or only silver uh, works, yeah. or only whatever works. I didn't understand it, because there was a scene where Ron Perlman's mm. character, like, there, there's, a, there's a, a column of light in front of him, and he puts his hand out there, yes. and, and it's a gloved hand, it's a heavily, yeah. you can see it's a heavily gloved hand, but the glove starts yeah. smoking. I don't understand that. Clearly perf- perforated gloves. <laughs> and holes in- they, they, they played off of that a little bit in the first film. So um, Deacon Frost, the, the kind of young, cool vampire, was experimenting with going out into the light. And it was by being covered up. Uh, it was wearing like a motorcycle helmet. At one point, it was just wearing a shit ton of sunscreens. You know, still still don't know what he did about his eyes and hair, but whatever. <laughs> he managed. Um, so, yeah, I think... Light is a bit unusual with these vampires. You know, it gets them sometimes, it doesn't others. How does this this film explain the return of Whistler? So, so yeah, so in the old, the first film, just to recap, Whistler was bitten and beaten mm-hmm. up. And then he mm-hmm. tells to Blast Blade, give me your weapon. And then he said, mm. but he has an off-screen death. Blade walks off and we hear mm. the gunshot. Mm. And now we find out, like, what? He didn't shoot himself or... Or not to the degree where he killed himself and the vampires turned him to heal him. Mm. And they kept bringing him to the brink of death and back and forth. I'm not sure why they did that, though. I mean, if they want info on Blade, Blade's not exactly hiding. They know where his lair is. They could just kind of keep following him around. Mm. You know, Whistler doesn't have any secret technology that no one else can figure out. They've got Scud as their spy literally in Blade's lab yeah. whilst Blade is hunting for Whistler. It's true. There's kind of very little benefit to just fucking around with Whistler and moving him around from place to place. Except for if you really wanted to get Blade... I mean, where was the... The film, I thought, was set in some sort of miscellaneous European country. And if your aim is to get Blade to said country from the US, you leave a trail of breadcrumbs with Whistler... And then you'll know Blade will end up there. And I guess maybe that's how they want to get his blood. Oh, that's smarter than I thought this film is. It's coming back. I'm back in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm back, I'm back. Favourite film of all time. Deserves an Oscar. 
I thought the the sort of they they raised questions about Whistler's loyalty in the sense is he still a vampire in a sense I th- I thought those questions were good Scott was raising them obviously because so so that's another thing that bothered me because you know in in this world as far as I understood it being made into a vampire doesn't immediately turn you into an arsehole. You get the thirst, which then forces you to consume blood, and then you end up becoming whatever, mm. right? It's not like in, in the Buffy universe, you know, you, you're turned and you lose your soul, so you're immediately a dick as soon as you turn into a vampire. So Blade now rescuing Whistler could easily have said, all right, oh shit, it's too late to turn you back. You know, the thirst has got you. But hey, guess what? I The thirst has me too. I use serum. Have some serum, mate. We'll work together. Instead, he's like, no, no. You're either cured or you're turning to dust. I mean, presumably Whistler's the one who got him onto serum in the first place. Mm. So Whistler's probably sitting there going, you bastard. The (laughs) thing I gave you. (laughs) Hand it over. Is that what he was injecting himself with? There was a scene where he was injecting himself with something. Yeah, heroin. If only. (laughs) It's a serum. It's a serum. (laughs) Right. When we had that method of injection. Um, one thing I liked about this film was the switch up of the premise. I think it would have been quite easy to write a film where, oh, you killed Frost, now here's Frost's daddy. You know, like the next mm. level boss. But instead, this this entire idea of Blade working with vampires to try and do something. And the vampires using him. I thought. I thought it, they. They. It was clever sort of sequel, not an obvious sequel. I think. Um, and you know, lateral yeah. lateral thinking from the vampires to try and. I mean, get Blade on their side, to get him to do something, rather than just saying, "Let's go kill him." They're like, "We could trick him to do this," and you know. So the the approach that, but our approach of doing that. Yeah. Is sending two people to infiltrate into your lab really dodgily, yeah. then fighting you for fucking ages. <laughs> oh, that that was Where... so pointless. With such a, <laughs> a, a, a a ridiculous plot hole, like oh let let us fight you, but hang on, but wait, there's more. We come in peace. <laughs> <laughs> and the the person he was the person he was fighting the most was Nisa, yeah. right? Thingy's yeah. daughter. Yeah. Now, he could have easily have killed her in that time, and your message isn't going nowhere. <laughs> it makes me think how many other vampires they sent after Blade beforehand, where he just killed the guy before he could even, like, approach with this. I bring a message. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, they don't say I bring a message. They just turn up and fight for a while. Luckily, you know, Blade was in a mood to fight with the sword in the sheath. <laughs> like, hang on, bro, it's a prank, it's a prank. <laughs> <laughs> It's like that scene in 300, you know, when um, Leonidas gets the message from uh, King Xerxes and he, he asks to come and uh, just like, there's, take a knee and mm. bend the knee, sorry, bend the knee. Uh, and then Leonidas like, speak your words carefully, messenger, for there may be your last. I just love that scene. but So, I mean, it's just in this scene, right, in Blade 2, so that scene was really well done, but this one was just so weird. You come in, instant fight scene, bam, 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 some awesome fights, and then, oh, hang on, bro, oh, chill, chill, chill. I got, I got a message <laughs> for you, man. <laughs> they try and excuse it. They say, "Oh, your people shot first. Yes, because you were invading my home. 
You were just swinging from the ceilings, yeah. What was that about? <laughs> Is it like... I mean, you could have turned up. I mean, it was at night to start with, right? You could have literally come in through the front door. Blade doesn't have a front door, by the way. It's just in some kind of random factory shit, right? You could have just walked in saying, yo, 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 white flag, I want to chat. They were literally ninja vampire monkeys. Just like the way they were going from oh one God. metal thing to another. And, yeah, and yeah. Well, I mean, apparently they didn't even go, get get past the security system. Scud let them in. The, the issue there, I think, especially was this this over reliance on CGI, and I think it's probably the worst during this this scene. Uh, and I don't. I I remember watching the original enough to remember this. It's not because the CGI hasn't aged well. Even back then, they looked really rubbery. And because the first film was quite visceral and solid, you know, um, it did feel like oh, it really took you out of the action. Um, we said this is post-Matrix and pre... Well, and, and also it's pre-Matrix Reloaded. It made me think about the uh, Agent Smith burly brawl, where it's kind of a rubbery Neo fighting a thousand rubbery Agent Smiths. Oh, God, all yeah. just looking weird That's... and rubbery. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so it felt like an early version of that. It felt very computer gamey. It's like they would just have like a fight, normal fight, and then they would cut back, and someone would do an incredible flip, and you just see, oh, that's CGI, and mm-hmm. then it goes back. Yeah, and, yeah, felt very video gamey every now and then. I think even the way the stage was set, right? It was basically Mortal Kombat because you had mm. the background of the lights, oh, yeah, and then yeah. you had the camera opposite that. Yeah, they just needed health bars at the top. <laughs> so what? What about those lights? They didn't. Att- Hurt those two vampires. They were just regular lights, like light bulbs, I guess. No, they killed the lights before the vampires took their masks off. Remember? Ah, okay. So the the, the what they were wearing. And that's my was... problem. It's that easy to have UV lights, right? In this yeah. in this world, <laughs> you had a ton of them just decorating one wall of your house. You could have killed them all. But those are those are just normal lights. It's not sunlight. I'm presuming. Wait, hang on. So, so Ryan, you think Blade just decided you're scud. This wall, ideal feng shui. Wall you of lights. You Blade might have hired an interior designer and <laughs> said, bro, look, your feng shui is totally wrong. Take all those contraptions off that wall, put some nice lights in it. Probably pick up the value of the house a bit. You know. Do we want a door? No. I want a wall of lights. <laughs> but look, my, my, my issue is, yeah, these 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 two, like, like vampire ninja monkeys, whatever I call them, they they they're fighting and then they want to take off their mask, but this is artificial light. It's not sunlight, isn't it? Sunlight that's supposed to kill them. It's UV lights. Um. So so yeah, it, the UV light in sunlight. So that's how they make the the light bombs, or they have the little torches on the end of their um guns. But what about on the on 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 their guns? Right, they had that UV filter. Mm. So that just filtered out yes. the UV light, wasn't it? Okay, yeah. So. yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily make it, sense. It but <laughs> conceptually, <laughs> conceptually, that you know, yeah, you can UV light will uh, will offend a Put vampire's subtle skin. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think the CGI was a problem. The CGI fighting was a problem all the way throughout. I think the first Blade film didn't do too well with CGI. You know the mm. the blood effects, and there was that kind of one with the dodgy bullet effects. Uh, I think you could kind of excuse some of that just being sort of early nineties, and, and there were fairly quick scenes. Um, here, I think, you know, the, the film is a, is about the fighting, and you've got Wesley Snipes, who is a proper 
martial artist. You've got Donnie Yen choreo- choreographing it. It just it took you out of it. I felt a bit unnecessarily. The big fights were that that original fight. There was the fight with uh, Blade and Nomak in the church, and there was the fight with Blade and Nomak uh, right at the end of the film. Right, this is sort of discontinuing, discounting all the kind of Blade versus hordes and hordes of zombies, or hordes and hordes of reapers. The one in uh, the one at the end, I thought again over relied on CGI, and they were kind of bending and flipping unnecessarily. The one in the church was probably the most kind of pure fight, but it just uh, maybe it's because fight choreography has come a long way in the sort of past twenty years, mm. but it just felt a little silly. So I, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, Donnie Yen is credited as one of the fight choreographers because yes. there were other dudes involved, including Snipes himself, inputting. Yes. Oh, I think I should do this move next or something like that. Yes. So, so, so maybe that's what it is. It's not one vision and Donnie Yen, while at that time already a big star in the East, hadn't made his name in the West yet. So maybe he he wasn't. Nobody. Everybody might not have deferred to him as they probably would today as mm. the guy who knows what he's talking about. Um, so yeah, maybe it's a bit of a mixed bag because of that. Different different people chipping in at different times. I think it was very fluid. You, know, you, you see fight scenes nowadays. If you look at movies like um, Ong, uh, Tony Jaa's Ong Bak or yeah. um, his uh, Tom Yum Gung, those are like sort of this incredible fight scenes. You have Raid Redemption, that mm. you know, massive fight scene. But and, and those are just so fluid. They, 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 they move. Right, where it's not clunky, yeah. you're not stopping, you're not doing this and that. It is very, very well choreographed. Obviously, that's not how real fights go, but from for movie purposes, they're extremely well done. But but yeah. but but Donnie Yen would have done all that already. Is what I'm saying, I guess. It, I mean, Once Upon a Time in China Two was Donnie Yen versus Jet Li, and that's like yeah. one of the classics of of Hong Kong cinema. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's, but but I guess yeah, in 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 Hollywood terms, we were still. Hollywood very, terms, very it was very, very yeah, clunky. It's just Snipes' movement yeah, yeah. Was, was off. Uh, Nomak's movement was in, you know, was off as well. It mm. just, it, it didn't feel like they were having a very, very uh, fluid fight and one that was very attractive to, to, to watch. And maybe it wasn't the choreography. You know, maybe it was just the, the, the directing it, exactly, of those yeah. fight scenes. Yeah, maybe it was yeah. the editing of those fight scenes. I mean, you know, it's well known that whilst there were multiple choreography teams, they were competing with one another. It wasn't a collaborative effort mm. so they were clashing uh, uh, uh as they developed those scenes so but you got a question why why did they have why was there so many different fight choreographers and, and... i i think they hired donnie yen and they're like well obviously we're gonna use him but i feel like snipes is the type of person who's like look i've got lines i'm gonna input i've got fights i'm gonna input I've mm. got punches i'm gonna input you're gonna do these, and if you can't, if you're not gonna do these, sorry, who's who's gonna play Blade in this <laughs> film? It's a bit of a diva. <laughs> Which will come up more when we talk about Blade Three, because that's when his ego goes to its ultimate peak. <laughs> but there's clearly a journey. <laughs> he, I mean, you know, some of his lines in this one. Um, I mean, one where the where the music even stops when he's chasing that vampire with the scarf, right? And he's, for absolutely no reason, decides not to kill him, spins around, points at him and goes, Catch you later. <laughs> That's not a good line! That wasn't worth it! That's Blade having fun, man. <laughs> That's Snipes having fun. <laughs> Snipes having fun. <laughs> well, and actually, they set up Blade having fun from the very beginning. You know when he was um, 
uh, the very first flight with that guy when he almost crashed into his car and he stopped and gave a little kiss. I thought, oh, okay. Yeah, I like, I like that. Blade, I like that. There's a couple of um, notable quotes in there. I think there was one. What was it? With Scud. Uh, he sees, mm. I think, Blade come back and he like, lock up your daughters, boys and girls. The Dark Knight Returns. I was like, wow. Is this like, that's <laughs> cool. Um, and the lawyer one was quite funny as well. You know when he met the lawyer? He said, You're human. I'm a lawyer. <laughs> that, was, that was kind of funny. I love that it didn't land as well. That literally no one laughed. <laughs> this guy made this joke thinking, oh, I'm going to get in with the vamps. <laughs> I feel they they missed a trick in... I mean, I don't, we don't know how much they used Donnie Yen in terms of the choreography, but we know... I mean, I certainly feel he was very much underused as as an actor i mean oh yes no man did nothing like two kicks i think it was yeah you've got this amazing amazing martial artist you know in your cast and you just like oh man and it's a fight movie you you could have you know got so much more out of him so so pure speculation here do you think snipes didn't want to be showed up showed up by donnie yen yeah seems like a reasonable assumption to make Really burning snipes at the moment. It's probably, oh. <laughs> um, in the last film, uh, we might have mentioned this last week, uh, so they initially wanted Jet Li to play the bad mm. guy that eventually became Deacon Frost. Yeah. Uh, so he was meant to go up against, you know, a super martial artist. Um, so, yeah, they definitely missed that trick. And even having, you know, Blade fight off against the cat um, and Nisa, yeah. that could have been Nisa and Donnie Yen. Yeah, you know, he, um, they could have given him way more. Yeah. I'm just sad Donnie Yen was was um, we saw so little of him. I don't know how mm. much screen time he had, but it, it couldn't have been a very long time. And and the way he dies, like why, like what, why would you make him go out like that? It felt like it was just to just to serve the plot, right? So now we're done with the the blood pack. We're just going to kill him all off straight away. Mm. I mean, the other guy who gets infected and then hides it. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was very fortunate that he got bit in the tiny part of his skin that he actually covers <laughs> with a leather jacket. Just a collar. He just wears a collar. Yeah. I mean, oh, if the color. vampire bit the other other side, he'd be fucked. <laughs> fortunately, the Reapers go for. <laughs> and you know what? I quite I quite like seeing Nisa kept wearing this kind of metal uh, neck collar thing. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's quite cool. That that's their armor. You know, she, because the Reapers are now attacking mm. vampires. Because, of course, humans don't know vampires are coming after them, right? But then no one else dons that. Then they go and wear... I mean, one of the guys wears this kind, wears the same kind of plasticky armor that they've all got, but without the, anything underneath. These are guys that bite you. Don't show skin. Like, Jesus. <laughs> I, I I like Blade's look in this film, I think. I thought mm. they added the red lining inside his jacket. Mm, and yes. I thought that worked well because he's a vampire as well. And I think that kind of mm. gives it that sort of feel to it and possibly to distinguish it as well from Neo's look um, mm. to make it slightly different. So I, th- I thought that worked well. He looked cool. I, I, I still think I preferred the vest from the first film. I thought the the three little catches he had on this uh, were very stylized here. Um, but we know enough about his history to know oh, there isn't kind of a history behind this, so he disliked them. 
So yeah. I kind of felt like, what does that mean? He was hanging around in the shop and he was like, ooh, that'd be a good catch for my body up. Whereas the other one was very militaristic and actually very purposeful. Functional. You know, that stoic fade is just dressed for battle. Yeah, very functional. Well, if he's had the guy come over to install the lights on one wall, another guy in for his suits. And... I think he would look better in some <laughs> silver cloths in your front, like three of them across your chest. I think that would look great. Can, we, can you imagine Bla- Blade on an episode of uh, Queer Eye? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Fab <laughs> Five versus Blade. I love it. Blade and Gokwan walking down the road. Mm. <laughs> uh, this film, I felt, had very sort of Joel Schumacher esque vibes. Like, you know, this Batman film. Oh no. Because like, it is very, very gothic. The 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 rain, the you know, the, the very dark feelings, uh, the dark, the moody tones that he uses in in, in the entire. Uh, are, you, are you thinking Tim Burton by any chance? No, I'm right? thinking Joel Schumacher. Joel Schumacher Batman films were all neon and bright no, and shiny. They were, they were very, very like gothica, right? Like you, know, you had the gargoyles okay. and and the 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 massive statues and and you see the the, the mansion was so like overcompensating almost it just it just felt <laughs> it felt like his parents are dead leave him alone uh. darkness <laughs> no parents Dark not returns. <laughs> um but mm. i, I kind of got those vibes especially when it when it rained and it was very dark and dreary it was very badass i thought yes. you know if you especially where the reapers were kind of leaving Leaving the world's worst truck thing, by the way. Like, I've got all the money in the world to kind of build all this cool armor and weapons for you guys. But here's this second-hand 30-year-old truck that I'm going to be in the base at, where the windows just fall apart by themselves. And, um, yeah, that's when I and I Against I starts playing and all that kind of stuff. Very, very, I mean, I was going to say very comic book, but obviously it's a comic book film. But perhaps before the language of comic book films had really been developed to this degree. A lot of plot conveniences, <laughs> I thought, in this film. Yes, yes. Go on. Uh, so, so that again, I think, is a is a writer's failing. You know, I mean, <laughs> Goyer. Yeah. yeah, I think Goyer. Uh, anyway, I think I think Goyer's skill level drops between films. I think you know he, he get his writing kind of gets worse as he as he goes through. Um. So my favorite one was when they're in the th- in the tunnels and Whistler suddenly realises at that point, shit, I can't see in the tunnels. Mm. And then the other guy suddenly pulls out the, uh, the thermal glasses <laughs> bifocals. Yeah. And these guys, they, no one carries a backpack, right? They're literally in their armour with their singular gun, right? And also, it's not like they've gone with the coolest gun, or the, the, best, the best gun for the weapon. It's literally, yeah, this is my cool-looking weapon. But this guy happened to carry around the extra bifocals. This is this is all part of Damaskinos's plot. You must see. You see. Um, oh yeah. He said, and at that point, he'll realize he can't see in the dark, and you'll pull this out. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and then right. So when they get Blade, when they very easily trap him, and they take away all his weapons. Yeah. They don't take away the the bomb clicker thing. They happen to leave that on him. Mm. <laughs> Which you know you could argue again. Blade's gonna get all excited <laughs> and try to click the bomb, but it's not gonna work. But then Blade happens to know that that's going to happen. So he actually is not a dud and he double clicks it. 
That was such a twist. That that double twist. I mean, she, oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. But the that thing is, be... right? He he had the opportunity to double click on Ron Perlman, and instead he yeah. blew up Scud, who could who he could have just killed very easily. And he could have got rid of Ron Perlman very early, early on with just double clicking early. Uh, and of course, we had the uh, the always convenient blood pool, and in fact, the setup of the holes, you know, whole area, so that Blade could crawl and dive into the blood pool for his healing. Uh, you know that that whole bloodbath scene. The biggest issue I have with it is that mm. when, like, whenever you bleed, right, you notice your blood is quite yep. thick. So yep. when you jump out of a water of, of like a literal pool of blood water should not just mm. fall off you like like it's water with with red dye in it it should stick to you it should be thick yeah. and it should stay on you and i think that would have been so much more so, visceral if that had happened and i'd be like oh shit that's mad rather than oh what the heck like, it's, just, it's just like he's you know, he's had a shower he's just <laughs> they have set this up in the blade world though so the first Blade film opens with the bloodbath where they have the blood shooting out the sprinklers, right. and uh, yeah, it is some kind of diluted blood in water dealio going on, I guess. Yeah, so it's it, it's it's a feature of the world. It's not a, not a thing necessarily. The other thing that I thought really was really silly is Blade was often chasing vampires who blow up very easily if they get shot in this film. Mm. and off, like at the start he was chasing a whole bunch of them down this corridor and they were just running and he was just running and he shot a couple of them and then he decided I'm just going to run after the rest no no your bullets are faster than them running just stand there and shoot <laughs> and maybe he's just bored of shooting at any point when Blade has his gun he should not be sword fighting he should just be shooting maybe he gets bored he just wants to play around wants a bit of a challenge yeah. he's like the, the anti-Indiana Jones <laughs> How did... I have a question for both of you, right? All of a sudden, you know, when Blade's captured and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, Novak doesn't know where I am. And he goes, he does now. When did Blade get meet up with Novak and say, hey, by the way, follow me. These are the coordinates. Here's where we're going. Uh, Whistler and Novak had a little chat in the tunnel that we weren't privy to. Ah. So they might have said... Or Nomak might be like, oh, you know what? They're going to betray you. Take my ring and I'll, I'll see you at the lair later, dude. <laughs> All very convenient. Meet me back at my place. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm heading home. I'm sure you're going there too. We'll see you see each other there. And here's my ring. Um, I think that, that might have been that. Um, Speaking of Whistler and his grand thing, right? Yeah. Now, at, at the end of this... Whistler decides, right, I'm going to destroy all this research that they're doing into, you know, making the ultimate vampire hybrid, whatever. So he shoots at those, like, pods of, like, fetuses or whatever. And this whole big column of, like, hundreds of, of fetuses in jars, mm. which is a weird way to store them anyway. He shoots about 12 of them. Like, that's all you do, mate. The rest are still there. <laughs> it's like in those older films when um, they would shoot at a monitor to destroy a computer and then walk away. <laughs> All right. Um, so, how how do you guys uh, rate this film with regards to the others? And um, I'm sure you've seen the other ones before. Um, favorite of the three, or was Blade the first one better? So we know it's Snipes' favorite. I 
always thought um, this was my favourite until having done the rewatch, and now I think the first Blade is my favourite. This is probably a better film. Uh, this is, you know, it, technically it's probably a better film. I just think the first one had all of that wow factor. This did kick it up a notch. I think um, it, it was a bit clunky, a bit too clunky for me. So my heart is with the first Blade movie. I quite enjoyed it, despite all of the, you know, as you said, the clunkiness and then the fight scenes and all that. It was a watchable, it was a fun watch. Right. I mean, oh, yeah. Obviously, it's full of plot holes and, and all of that stuff. But in terms of watching the film, it was a genuinely good watch. And it really mm. made me want to go out and buy a pair of Oakley sunglasses. Um, <laughs> I mean... To go with your big leather trench coat it, and your samurai it, sword. Exactly. I mean, vampires must be real douches if they wear shades at night. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Blade wears them through um, some night vision glasses <laughs> at one point. <laughs> He takes them and looks through the glasses. <laughs> Good lord. Good lord. No, no, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I don't know how it ranks up compared to other vampire films, but yeah, this is a very different film if you compare it to, for example, Underworld or, mm. God forbid, Twilight. I, I think the Twilight vampires would murk these vampires in a fight. These vampires are so flipping fragile. Uh, Blade and Nyssa, still a better love story than... <laughs> <laughs> for me i'd say i think it's on par with blade one for sure if not better so i'm gonna put it yeah slightly higher maybe but yeah mm. definitely you know you know it's very easy for sequels to disappoint and i don't think this disappointed as you know as with comparison with the first uh yeah. so very good sequel um so next time we're going to be watching Blade Trinity, uh, available on Netflix and Amazon Prime Video in the UK. Please uh, join us for that talk. Uh, rate, subscribe, follow if you've enjoyed this. Uh, special thanks to our guest Ryan for joining us. Uh, Ryan, thank you very much for joining us. And if people want to uh, hear more from you, where can they uh, find you? Uh, I'm on Instagram. You can find me at my at, at Rallyon, R-A-L-I-O-N. Um, like a lot of photography stuff on there um just daily random stuff on my stories as well so yeah just give me a follow guys and Paya, uh always a pleasure it's always good to be here cool well on that note uh i'm off to go and watch more uh donnie and clips uh donnie and kicking ass because that's the one thing that was missing so <laughs> see you guys later <laughs> adios bye, bye. bye. Hello listener, Tobro here. Before we end, I'd like to give a special shout out to Bai Alkindi. Bai Alkindi are purveyors of fine self-care products. They offer a range of cold-pressed organic beard oils, which are bottled here in the UK. As a Bai Alkindi customer myself, I can tell you that you'll leave your beard feeling soft, moisturized, and lightly fragranced. So find them on Instagram at Bai Alkindi. That's B-Y-A-L-K-I-N-D-I, all one word. Bye, Al Kindi.